Good morning. Glad you are here this morning. It's good to see you um, and worship with you and, and now to get into uh, God's word with you. And today we're going to do that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians again this week. Um, chapter 9, we're going to read verses 6 through uh, 15. And um, in this section of scripture, Paul is instructing uh, the Corinthians to uh, be generous. And uh, there's a specific reason that Paul's instructing them in this. He's taking up a collection uh, to give to the church in Jerusalem. Um, and, and the church in Jerusalem uh, was made up of Jewish Christians. He was taking up this collection because there was great need among these Christians in Jerusalem. And so he's instructing them on being generous uh, to these, these other um, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, part of the reason is because he wants to take care of those who are in need. Another reason is he wants those Jewish Christians to be able to recognize the grace and the love of God um, that has been poured out on the Gentile Christians and how that love and that grace that God has poured into them is now showing itself in love for the Jewish Christians. And in this, there's, there's a hope that there will be greater unity in the church where there had been division. He's, he's saying, let's, let's be generous towards them through the grace that we've received um, from Christ and, and let's let that grace that we uh, show them open their hearts more to receiving you. And so there's, there's really um, three reasons in this that we're going to see that Paul wants them to do this. One is obviously to help those in need. Two is to help uh, find more unity in the church. And then three is that God will be glorified. And so we're going to read now um, with that in mind, that this is what Paul is talking about. And we're going to read verses 6 through 15. It says this, um, Paul is encouraging them in a promise that, God's, that he knows is of God. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, cheerful, cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it also is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Well, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and, and God's truth. I thank you, God, in a world that can be so confusing and uh, God can throw so many things at us. We have truth to stand on. We have truth to encourage, Lord. 
God, I pray that in the next few minutes, Lord, that you would uh, give us truth, that you would uh, just cut through some of the things maybe that we have uh, believed or, or the chains, God, the bondage that many have walked in. God, I pray that we would be set free to worship you, that everything we do would come from a heart of worship, that everything we do would be motivated by your love and grace in our lives. God, I thank you that you have set us free from sin. God, you set us free uh, that we can live for you and fulfill the purpose you created us for. God, we thank you for that. God, thank you that you work among us now. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. How many of you have ever been in a situation um, where you were talking with someone and they told you something and it kind of brought relief to you because you realized like you weren't the only one that dealt with that, okay? Anybody ever done that, right? Where, um, you know, you thought you were kind of like embarrassed or ashamed of something and then somebody else admitted they struggled with it too and all of a sudden you were like, oh gosh. And then you could like have a conversation with that person, kind of open and honest because you realize like we've got this in common. I'm not the only one that struggles with this it's kind of relief for you. Um, this happened with me the other day, and, and this is um, kind of a small example, but I think it points to what I'm referring to. Um, I was carrying something to one of my children who had forgotten it, uh, and, and as I was carrying it to them, uh, I saw some, a, a guy, and he said, what, do, what you up to? I said, well, I'm taking this to my son. He, he left this. He forgot it, and so I was just bringing it to him, and he goes, oh man, he's like, thank God. He's like, I thought my children were the only ones that forgot everything, right? And so I, I was like, no, it's mine too. And so we stood there talking about that back and forth and um, talking about how bad of parents we are and that kind of thing. And so it really opened up a conversation that we could have about this. And, and, and when we have those conversations, when we have those moments, it's like a wall comes down between us and we're able to recognize that I'm not alone in this. They share in this and we can have an honest conversation conversation about those things. Some of you've experienced that with things that are much deeper, much bigger issues that when you found out someone else had this in common, it brought relief and it brought a way for you to be able to have an open and honest conversation about that. I guess the wall kind of came down, the facade came down, and you were able to um, really begin to discuss it and be open about it. And when I was thinking about that this morning and, and throughout the week, here's the thing is we look at generosity and we look at giving and we look at money and we think about the church and, and, and we just think about the church as a whole. The question I had is this, is when as the church are we going to finally let the facade fall down and, and let let, let's admit that things behind the facade are not the way that they should be. And here's what I, I see in this is that in, in so many ways, the church continues to do things that, that don't work. We continue to operate in this broken system that you've heard me talk about. And you, we continue to operate in that. And, and it continually over and over does not produce what God desires to produce. But we continue to do those things, never really looking at the possibility that perhaps we're not doing things the way God would want us to do them. Maybe our focus is on something 
that it's not supposed to be on. Maybe our hearts need some correction to get back to what God wants his church to be. And I believe that that is true. And I think as we look at this teaching that Paul gives us in Corinthians, I believe we can see a bigger issue even than generosity and giving in the church. If we're honest, the issue of money has been a big hindrance to how the world has viewed the church. And when we look at how it's been taught in the church, even that becomes a hindrance to how people view God. How many of you have ever done something out of fear? Like something happened, you just responded to something out of fear. Wasn't necessarily what you really probably thought what you should do, but it was just a response, a reaction to fear. It could have happened instantly. It could have been something that was over time. You wrestled with it, but because of fear, you decided you'd do this instead of that. The other day, I was helping coach a baseball game, and I was sitting on a bucket. I was up against the fence down the third baseline, kind of up towards home plate. I'm sitting on this bucket, and and this kid who is right-handed hits a foul ball. I have no idea how he pulled this pitch as far as he did, but he hits the foul ball straight at me. It's coming like 100 miles an hour. I'm sitting on this bucket, and it drills the bucket that I'm sitting on. And I literally, I thought I was dead, right? I thought it was going to kill me. And it hits the bucket, and my response, it didn't even hit me, right? But my response was I let out the most girlish cry, scream you've ever heard in your life. And it wasn't like, you know, our dugout heard it. Everybody there heard it. Everybody laughed. They thought it was funny. Ha, ha, ha. You know, I tried to play it off. But anyway, it it scared me. In fear, I just reacted. it, It didn't even hit me. It was just in fear. And I think when it comes to how we've taught in the church on giving, how we've even taught the gospel of grace, how we've taught people to walk with God, how we've taught people to see the fruit of God in their life. So many times we have taught it from a place of fear rather than faith as the church. We've taught it from a mindset that if we don't give them rules, if all we do is give them Jesus, if all we do is teach them to walk with Christ, if all we do is teach them that they are loved, if all we do is teach them how to walk in love, if all we do is teach them how to live in the power of God's grace, if all we do is teach them to live in the power of God's spirit, if we don't tell them what to do, then there's no way they're going to do what we need them them to do and honestly it becomes about manipulation and it's done out of fear to try to get what the church feels it needs to get when you look at this though Paul is not talking about giving because we have to give Paul's not giving them percentages The New Testament talks very little about giving according to percentages. What it talks about is giving out of a generous heart. It talks about giving abundantly and being generous with people. You see two reasons that that people give in the New Testament. One is to support ministry. The other is to help those in need. But Paul doesn't manipulate them in this. The first thing he does is he gives them a promise. 
He tells them that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Why do we need a promise like that? That if if I'm generous and I'm giving generously to, to those in need, I'm giving generously towards the kingdom of God, why do I need that promise? Because here's the thing that keeps us from living generously and it's the same thing that keeps the church from teaching it in a way of faith and not in a way of fear. It is the fear that I won't have enough. And he says, listen, if you trust God in this, if you just live a generous life, God is going to to take care of you. It reminds me of Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus tells us, if we'll seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, all these things will be given to us. If we'll seek him, if we'll just live generously, if the spirit's working in our heart and we're willing to sow into ministry, sow into others' lives, he's saying, look, I'm gonna take care of you. You don't have to preserve yourself. But see, religion always leads us, not a relationship with Christ, but religion the rules, the law, it always leads us to a place where we find ourselves in bondage just having to do the things that we think we've got to do. But if we're doing things and it's not motivated by the love of Christ, what we're doing is still not honoring to God. If our hearts aren't right, and that's really what Paul talks about in the next Verse, he says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And see, here's the thing with this that we have to see first, it starts with the heart. Generosity is a heart issue. We know that, scripture teaches that. But rules and law and and telling people you gotta do this, it doesn't change their heart, it modifies their behavior but it only does it for a period of time. And it's not then giving out of joy. It's not cheerful. It's something I've got to do. And anytime we're just doing something, it's going to lead us into a place of bondage. And so when we look at this, we see it starts in the heart. It comes from the overflow of a heart. He says, don't do it reluctantly. Don't give under compulsion. In other words, don't let the negativity or this feeling of I've got to make you do this. He says, but give cheerfully. How do we give cheerfully? It's when our hearts have been moved. We see the grace of God in the gospel. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. He says, you'll have everything you need for every good work. In other words, he's gonna take care of you. He says, now, the one who gives you the seed to sow, he gives you bread for food, is also going to increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. But think about this. He's telling us if you will sow generously, God is going to supply you back generously. But think about even how Satan has come into the church and twisted what Paul's saying. And he's twisted it so that we begin to think that this is some investment strategy. Like it's the stock market. If I put money in, I'm going to get more out. And it becomes the health and wealth gospel that, you know, if I give a thousand, I'll get 10,000 back. 
It's not what Paul's saying. If you keep reading in verse 11, he says, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so he's saying, look, the reason you're giving, it, the end is not so that you can have more. The reason is so you, when God gives back, you can continue to sow in. You can continue to be generous. The kingdom can continue to go forward. And then we begin to see that part of this reason is to supply the needs of the Lord's people. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people. There's one reason, he says, this is going to meet their needs. But then he goes into the end goal of all of this. He says, but it, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is the end goal of generosity? The end goal in generosity is that people see the grace given to us and that in that they glorify God. They begin to worship God. The end goal is not us. The end goal is not the local church itself. The end goal is that God would be praised, that God would be thanked, that people would see the grace of God and they would exalt him, magnify him, lift him up. That's the end goal. But when I think about how giving is taught in the church. And, and I know uh, so much of, of the temptation that's there. I know the fear I've operated in before. And we think about how it works so many times rather than the end goal of generosity being that God would be exalted, that his kingdom would grow through the ministry that's being supported. So many times the end goal in the church is not that God is ultimately exalted the end goal is that our kingdom would grow not God's kingdom and so we keep people guilty so many times because we're afraid that if we just trust that God that Jesus that the Holy Spirit in people who are walking with Jesus who are walking in the spirit we don't trust that if they do that that God is going to lead them to be generous in every occasion. We don't trust that. And so we feel like we have to preserve ourselves. And so we keep people guilty. We keep people manipulated to make sure that we can keep our lights on. I don't believe that's the way it's supposed to be. See, here's the thing, y'all. My heart in this is that my heart is burdened for the church, not Connection Church, the church, the church around the world, the global church. My heart is burdened for the church in the United States. My heart is burdened by this because when I look around, I feel like we've gotten so far from the church that Jesus died to create. We've gotten so far from a church that is rejoicing in who he is. 
who's rejoicing and worshiping in all areas of our life, that everything that comes out of us is truly the fruit of the Spirit that comes from a relationship with God through Christ and not just us trying to do what we feel we have to do. If we're doing it just to do it because this is what I got to do, then we're doing it for the wrong reason. We're missing the whole point. We're, we're not going to experience the life that God had created us to live, which ultimately leads to him being glorified. We're not going to experience the freedom that his truth brings, not freedom to live a life that is about me, but freedom to fulfill the purpose for which God created me, which is filling the earth with his glory. And in that, I find such satisfaction when I'm satisfied in the Lord. The problem in the church is so few people have tasted the satisfaction that comes from Jesus that we continue in a pattern of trying to preserve ourselves. We see this with Adam and Eve in the very beginning. What'd they do? They sinned. They felt shame. They felt guilt. What'd they do? They sewed fig leaves together to try to hide their shame, to try to hide their nakedness. I believe that may be the very first act of religion in scripture because what does religion teach us? It teaches us that I need to cover myself up. I need to make myself right. I need to at least, if nothing else, not let everybody else know that I'm naked. And so we put on this facade. We, we do all of this stuff trying to make ourselves right when we can't make ourselves right. But if we think we can make ourselves right, not recognizing that it's only Jesus who makes us right, we'll never come to a place of worship. All we'll do is continue to work for something that we cannot attain rather than praising him for something that we could have never attained but has been given to us freely by faith. When I look at giving and I look at the church as a whole, and I'm not pointing fingers at churches out there, I'm telling you. And when I look at Connection Church, I begin to see places where we've gotten off track. I see places where I feel like God is trying to bring us back in line with his heart and his intent. But when I look at the church as a whole, and I see it as a whole. I feel like the church looks a lot more like the people at the Tower of Babel than it does it looks like the church on the day of Pentecost and through the book of Acts. I want you to listen to this, the Tower of Babel. These, this is what the Bible says about the people who were alive during this time. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's build, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face 
of the whole earth. I want you to think about this because here is a group of people and rather than fulfilling the purpose for which they were created, which is really found in Genesis 1:28 when he tells them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, filling the earth with the glory, the image of God. Rather than them doing that, they're all gathered together in one place and they're building something, but it's not the kingdom of God. They're building something for their own namesake. They're building something to be their kingdom. They're building something to make a name for themselves. And and as we look at this, I think about the church in so many ways, in so many places. And, and, And look, this is not something, again, that I'm pointing fingers because I know my own heart in this. I know the temptation in this. I know where I've fallen into to this. The temptation is in the church, let's build something for our name. Let's build something so that people look at us. Let's do something so that people will come and see us rather than come and see Jesus. It's a temptation that exists and is fallen into in many ways. And what we have to see is that we've got to recognize this. We've got to get away from this. It's not about building up our kingdom. It's not about manipulating people to do what we need them to do so that we can accomplish what we need to accomplish. It's about connecting people to God. It's about helping them find the love of God. It's about helping them uh, find the healing power of God. It's about helping them see the grace of God, helping them walk in the power of God's spirit. It's about the spirit producing in them everything that God created them to be. It's not about us manipulating behavior. It's about God transforming hearts and lives so that ultimately we bring him glory and he is praised, not us. But listen, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I see this in things that we do so many times where we don't even sometimes recognize it. I mean, listen, think about what we do. And this is gonna seem small and petty to you. But it's been on my heart, and maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't. I mean, whatever. But think about when you walk in the doors. What's the first thing you see on the building? Connection Church. If we put something in your hands, how many times do you look at, and so many times the things that you receive when you walk in the doors of a church, this church, it's the name of the church. So many times when you leave, what you carry with you is the name of the church. So many times when you leave, it's not the name of Jesus that's on your lips. It's whoever spoke and, and boy, they did a good job. Boy, they did a great job. Man, I have really, that message really spoke to me. Man, that message didn't speak to me a bit. I hope he don't preach again. And then you just kind of go and we latch on to something tangible. We latch on to somebody because we're lacking what's intangible from the sense of what we can't see. We have to fake it many times because it's not real. I want to see us. I want to see me walking in a real relationship with God that's transforming, that's empowering, that's not a burden because his burden is light. That's not a I have to. It's a I get to. Well, why do you get to? Because I see who God is and I know what he's done for me. And how could I not do what I'm doing? How could I not offer my 
life as a living sacrifice? How could I not want to do what God created me to do when he is my living hope, when he does have a reckless love, when he does climb mountains over walls, when he goes through valleys, when he does whatever he has to do, when he takes my sin, when he takes my condemnation, when he took the wrath of God, when he did all of these things, how could I not want to lay my life down as a reasonable act to worship and serve him for the rest of my life? We don't have to manipulate people to get them to do what we want them to do. We have to continually point them to Jesus and trust that Jesus will accomplish everything in his life and in his church that he wants to accomplish. It's not about us. I look at this in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul, we looked at 5 last week, but in 4, Paul is talking and and, and trying to persuade them away from some false teachers. And listen to what he says. He says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. He's saying, "We we don't have to do things under the surface to try to get what we want people to. We don't, we've renounced these things. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach, listen, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He's defending the ministry that God had given them against these people who were coming in. And these people were coming in and they were trying to persuade the Corinthians to follow them. They wanted to be exalted. They wanted to be lifted up. They wanted to be the focal point. They wanted the attention on them. They wanted significance from the Corinthians. They wanted significance in the ministry that they had. And I'm telling you right now, Paul is telling them, look, this is not what we're doing. We're not peddling the word of God to try to get some selfish game. We're here to tell you the truth. We've been given this ministry through the mercy of God. And our truth goes forward and he's saying look our consciences are clear we're not trying to deceive you we're not trying to lead you away he's saying we want you to see the hope we want you to see the light of of God's glory we want you to know the one who said let light shine in the darkness we want you to see his glory we want you to behold who he is we want you to know what he's done we want you to see it all and you're going to see it in the face of Christ And he's saying, this is our hope. This is our goal that you would see in the face of Christ, the glory of God. And that should be our aim as well. We aren't promoting ourselves. 
But see, self-preservation, promoting ourselves is part of human nature until we come to a place of finding ourselves in Christ. Until we see that our real value, our real worth, our significance, our security is in Jesus and not in what I do, not in how many Facebook or Instagram or whatever you're on these days. I don't even keep up with it anymore because all I got was complaints through it, so I just shut it all down. That and fake Ray-Ban and Oakley sunglass commercials. That's about all I got. But when you look at that and you see like, We find our significance, our security, our value, our worth, and all these other things. No wonder so many people in ministry, out of ministry, not in full-time ministry, but so why do, no wonder so many people look for significance in what they do. They find security in what they have. Their value and worth rises and falls based off of their performance. The reason that that exists is because we have yet to really see how amazing we are in Christ, what he has done for us and who we have become, realizing that our value and worth is not tied up in performance. Our value and worth is tied up in Jesus and the price he paid for us on the cross. I don't have to strive and strain to make myself okay. I don't give. I don't live generously. I don't do right because I have to do the right thing. I live like Christ. I strive to be like Christ. I strive to know him more because I know his heart for me and I know what he's done for me. I see God's glory in the face of Jesus. Should we live generous lives? Absolutely. We see that throughout the New Testament. Generosity, giving to those in need, supporting ministry to be done. The motivation of it comes from love. The motivation of it comes from what God's given, for God so loved that he gave. And I I want us to be a church that lives from that heart I don't want us to do anything to manipulate you to a response. I want it to be God. I just want to pray for us now. And I want to pray that this will be true in our lives. We find ourselves in Christ. We don't have to live a life that's self-preserving. We don't have to live a life that is self-promoting because my significance is in him. Father, I thank you for that truth. Lord, I pray that everything we do from the fruit in our lives to how you produce gifts in our lives that we use for the building up of your kingdom, to God, our generosity, our serving, community, all the things that we do, Lord. God, I pray that our motivation would be your love and grace in our lives. I pray that our motivation would be seeing the glory of who you are in the face of Christ, to see 
what you've done for us through Jesus. God, I pray our hearts will be set on fire for you, on fire for your mission, God. But I know that that comes from walking in your spirit, walking in your grace, walking in your love, Lord. Don't let us get away from those things. God, we need you more than ever. I look at this world and I see how dark, I look at even our nation, I see how dark, I see God, so many things, I see so many things that are happening, God. It may manifest in different ways, but I know that, God, there's a battle for this land. God, I pray that the kingdom of light would overcome the kingdom of darkness. I pray that we would be stirred by your spirit, that we would be motivated by your love, not to sit in passivity, not to sit in uh, comfort, but that, God, you would motivate us through your spirit, God. You would empower us, God, to go into the world and be your church. God, help us to see you more clearly. Walk closer to you, Lord. Rejoice in your goodness and your power and your mercy. Rejoicing in the cross, celebrating the resurrection remembering that our hope is in you. God, we love you. We thank you, God. We thank you this morning. We worship you. Let us magnify you and worship you throughout this week, throughout our lives, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Y'all have a great week.